I don't have to be worried at a traffic stop from a police officer. I don't have to be worried about that. It's sad that just the whole reason why we're put here on earth is to share our love and experience with others and just try to make the world a better place. And unfortunately, um, any one group of people that thinks that they are right because of their religion or they're based on their skin color or whatever it is, makes them to be a better person in their minds is absolutely asinine to me because in the one blip of time that we're here on this earth, in the small blip of time of what has been the whole cosmos getting to this point of where we are right here on earth is such, we're so finite, we're so minute in all the grand scheme of whatever all of this is that um we're just we're really nothing right such a small blip of time yeah what are we going to do with that time right right what do you do with that time that you're given this like itty bitty like it's like snap and it's gone Hello, culture keepers, that you are beautiful and you are loved and your message in this lifetime is so important and it's so important right now. Whatever calling you have right now, it's time. We all need your light right now. One of those beacons of light is my guest today, Sloan Warren. She's an energy healer, manifestation coach, and Qigong instructor, along with her decades-long career in neuromuscular therapy. Sloan is also a multi-talented hyphenate storyteller, where she has worked both in front and behind the camera for decades. She mixes those industries a lot, and she guides entertainment industry professionals on their journeys to manifest what they want in their careers. One of her storyteller clients got an Oscar nomination nine days after they worked with Sloan. I want that. One of the things that's so beautiful about Sloan's energy is that she really believes that abundance is everyone's birthright. And that anytime that we have obstacles or roadblocks in our growth pattern, these are just stepping stones to higher consciousness. She has an awesome podcast called Undetoured, Navigating the Artist's Journey. You can check that out as well as her Instagram at Sloan Warren. I'm going to put all of her other deets in the show notes. One of the things I love about this conversation is that since she works in the entertainment industry, she has a really wonderful inside look at the best storytellers that are representing women, Latinx, BIPOC, and trans communities. And these are all going to be listed in the show notes and hashtagged and all that good stuff. We broke this episode up into two because there's so much that we cover. We talk about identity, we talk about privilege, we talk about being an ally in the entertainment industry, and also how storytellers are creatively sharing about police brutality, colorism, using everything from documentaries to zombies. 
we also get vulnerable with each other and she shares something I never knew about her that she struggles with and I shared a tragedy that happened in my family at the hands of the Santa Rosa Police Department in which we lost Carlos Fernandez. This brings us to the sobering news that we have learned about the mass shootings in Buffalo and Texas. Although we don't touch on that subject directly in this conversation, out of respect for the families and every American that is struck with fear as a result of hearing this news again and again and again in this country. I want to share some resources that will also be listed in the show notes with links so that any of you listeners can share these with your community. All of these resources will be updated periodically. I check over my show notes quite often and I spend over an hour on these each week. So please take advantage of the time I have put into researching all this. According to the BBC, there were 1.5 million firearm deaths in the U.S. alone. Not in the world, in the U.S. between 1968 and 2017. That's higher than the number of soldiers killed in every U.S. conflict since the American War for Independence in 1776. Guess which country has the most firearms per capita in the world? That's right, the U.S. with over 120 firearms for every 100 residents. Guess who rates second in the world? Tick-tock, tick-tock. You didn't guess Yemen with less than half of that amount at 52 firearms for every 100 residents. Guess who didn't make the top 10 in the world? Mexico. That means they're doing much better than the rest of the world in terms of guns per capita. Guess which country does make the top 10 list? Canada, with 34 firearms for every 100 residents. So why the fascination with the wall again, dear politicians? But that's a subject for another day. A Boston University article shared 25 years of national studies on gun reform impact. Guess what? Background checks before gun sales have reduced homicide rates by 58%. That's huge. As of 2017, guess how many states, including Massachusetts, had laws requiring universal background checks? Only 13 out of 50 states. And we wonder why the U.S. has such an issue. Thank you for your patience, dear listeners, and I hope that that was helpful. And I'm really excited to share this two-part conversation we have with Sloan Warren. Hello, Sloan. Hey. Let's pretend like we haven't been talking for 20 minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I would love for you to just share a little bit about your background. You are, the reason why I invited you on the show is because we both have this podcast 
workshop that we took last year with Kathy Heller, and we've all been really successful in starting our podcasts and everything. But in that process, it's been so fun getting to know our community. And I just kind of wanted to take this as an opportunity to get to know you even better because everything that you put out there is amazing. Not to hyperbolize, but you're kind of a big deal. You're kind of a badass. Oh, I don't know about that, but I appreciate it and I will accept it. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk more I have about to accept it. it at some point in my life, right? Like, because yeah. if we don't accept things, then we're in just like this state of um, feeling like we're never going to get to anywhere where we want to be. So you have to kind of live it, right? Yeah. I am actually looking up a quote by Peter Sage. He's part of the TEDx Love series. Love Peter Sage. Yeah. So I study he, a lot about his brain cell inertia, and it's fascinating. Like brain cell inertia. I love, I love Peter Sage. He's fantastic. Well, I'd love to hear more because I don't know much about him. He's new to me. But the quote is, people will never rise above the opinion of themselves. Yeah. What a call to action that is. Yeah, that gave me like affirmation bumps for sure. I call them affirmation bumps because like it affirms what you know at the true sense and core of yourself, but your body's actually saying, oh yeah, it lights up. I totally get it. And so you actually get chill bumps, but they're affirmation bumps. But yes, I love Peter Sage and he is fantastic and he knows so much about the brain and so much about how the brain works. And I've been fascinated um, for most of my life about how the brain works and why we do things. Um, and that partly stems from, as we were talking a little bit before this, about like this whole sleep disorder that I have and how I'm extremely happy during the day and have like, no one would know that I have this sleep disorder, but I have a pretty debilitating like sleep disorder like I never fully enter REM, although I, lately it's been a lot better. I take some natural remedies to help me uh, get to where I need to be um, in that REM state. But even so, if I have a stressful point in my life, that wouldn't even matter. Even if I took whatever, um, I just don't enter it. So basically I, I have night terrors, which is what little kids have. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so I'm really interested in the brain, like what happens in the brain at a certain point that would cause your sleep to just not be, you know, you, where you think someone's killing you, which is basically what mine is. I always oh, feel like someone's killing me. Wow. Yeah. That's or I'm so, going to die. Yeah. That's rough. And what strikes me when you share that is what a positive person you are and what a ray of sunshine you are in every group that I've interacted oh. with you. You know, I just, I really appreciate you're sh you sharing that because we never know what people are walking around with. Yeah, yeah, it's so true because the <laughs> funny thing is it, I get told that often that um, the ray of sunshine or the light or the beacon of light kind of analysis <laughs> or description of what I am. And that's what you try to attain to, right? Like in anything in life, if you can just be a light for someone, if you can make them feel comfortable and if you can make them feel happy, then you've done what God set us on the earth to do, which is share our love, right? Share our expansiveness of love. Mm -hmm. But um, somewhere at some point in my life, a past life, I think it was probably past life because it was not this one. I have a pretty wonderfully privileged life, um, but probably in a past life, something majorly, and I have been told this, that um, things happened where I died at a very young age and was killed, specifically killed at a very young age, like wow. over and over again through different past lives. And, and maybe that's what I'm carrying along with me. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Wow. 
That's so powerful. So powerful. But then I have no recollection of it. So my husband, my poor husband has to carry the brunt of it all. Like even early in our relationship, we would have the police called on us. They thought he was killing me. Because I was like, please don't kill me. I was yelling it out in my sleep. And we were in a condo at the time in a, you know, in town, um, you know, a suburb of Atlanta. And um, people called, someone called the police, apparently, because the police came. And they were like, but this is the thing that's so fucked up about all this. We answered the door and being who we are, I was like, oh, no, it was just a, you know, a sleep disorder. It was a night terror. He didn't, he wasn't hurting me. Mm -hmm. And they didn't even flinch or bat an eye mm-hmm. and they left yeah like real what, talk what yeah i wondered if i was maybe not my skin color or not you know who i am yeah. how that would have played out differently yeah when you just said that it i'm like fighting back tears honestly i really really appreciate you addressing that yeah yeah because it's it's yeah. sadly part of our reality. Like, yes. and it's more part of our reality now when we should be banding together as a humanity to come closer and to realize what God has put us here on earth to be and who we are supposed to be for each other. Mm-hmm. It's more apparent now than it was even when I was younger. Right around mm-hmm. that time, I was mm-hmm. very young. We were in our, gosh, like 20s, early 20s. I'm a lot older now. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's sad that we've regressed as a society that yeah. way. I often think that this has always been going on, unfortunately, in this society. And my curiosity is if it's just that it's being more present in social media you know, where people are sharing what's going on and the news is starting to pick it up a bit more. But yeah, thank you for addressing that. I just want to share for our audience too, um, we have a family member who was killed in his own home by the Santa Rosa Police Department. And he was from Mexico, he was from Michoacan. And he called the police because he thought that he saw somebody, a prowler in his yard, and he called the police. And we think he might've been having a nervous breakdown And this really became an issue of uh, like a health issue. And he was killed by the police in his own home with his wife at the time and his young son, his, you know, baby son in the home. And the police ordered them upstairs and his wife refused uh, many times and they ordered her upstairs and then they killed him. Basically, they tasered him and choked him to death. And there was a struggle and he was afraid of the police, naturally, being a brown person in this country. So it was really scary um, and it was a huge, huge loss in our family. You know, we have two boys now in our family that don't have their father and I don't share this story a lot, but I am starting to share it a little bit more now because, you know, there's kind of an assumption in the U.S. that when these things happen in the news, when these things happen, there's an assumption that allies and people that are in European American communities, because I don't like to identify as white personally, it's white is not a culture. Um, I just 
I, I, I have noticed that there's an assumption that people in European American communities are not affected by this as well and don't grieve this as well. And uh, our family deeply grieved this. And his case was taken along with many other individuals throughout the US all the way to the Supreme Court. The ACLU um, used his case along with many others to decrease the amount of taser use in the police force. And I don't know if you've noticed that there was a decrease. Um, it was really popular in the police force for a while, the use of tasers, but they were being misused. And uh, um, so I just want to say, I appreciate you bringing that up because it's real. And I think as allies, and that's the stance that I have for this podcast is to have these difficult conversations and as allies to bring these subjects up so that we can talk about them and help each other as a global community and as a nation to solve these problems together. So I really appreciate you speaking to privilege and to uh, colorism and sharing your experience as well, you know, going back to your disposition of being such a sunny person and having these night terrors. And I'm sure you have some, some things you want to share about what we just brought up. Yeah, I'm so incredibly sorry for your loss and your whole community's loss because I'm sure that when he went to call the police to help ease his mind, he would have never imagined that would be, nor would your family, your whole family imagine that would be the outcome that you would have received from yeah. someone that you perceive to be someone that is supposed to help the community. Yeah, um, I don't think George Floyd ever imagined that he wouldn't make it to his picnic later that afternoon that he was supposed to go to. He mm -hmm. was picking up lighter fluid and some things for a picnic for mm -hmm. uh, later that afternoon. I don't think he ever imagined that that would be the outcome or his mm -hmm. whole family be the outcome of, of that situation. And sadly, mm -hmm. <laughs> because there is no reform bill signed and because that was something that was part of this campaign's promise, it's sadly going to be seen and more and more of it's going to happen. <laughs> you yeah. know, more and more of it's going to, people are going to get away with it because there is no reform and that should have happened. And I'm quite frankly surprised why it has not happened yet, how that was a stalemate, because that was something that the whole nation, the whole nation <laughs> during 2020, I mean, every single city, it seemed like, had protests. Yeah. And it should have happened. Reform should have happened in some way. Because if we don't have reform and we have some, a group of people that have control and have the law to have control over another group of people and can do whatever they want and not be held accountable for it, mm -hmm. then where are we headed as a nation that's just like headed towards... <laughs> A place that we don't want to go, obviously. Yeah, and I think the question that comes up is how do we as allies push this kind of legislature forward? So this is a question that's always coming up because, you know, I founded this podcast to bring up these kind of conversations, but I am always feeling like the conversation isn't enough. What What is more helpful is the action. So as this podcast is growing, I will have more and more opportunities to connect with community around mobilizing. But um, 
I really appreciate you bringing these things up, you know, having these real conversations. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy the amount of like uptick in racism that has happened throughout the whole nation, even just as of this week, as we saw. And um, in Buffalo. Yeah, in Buffalo. And it's astonishing to me that there is no reform around guns either, that there's just no reform at all (laughs) around any of these things that could just put a little bit more of a restraint on the people who should, the hands that these guns should not be in. I'm not saying no one should have a gun. Um, I have family members that own guns, but the hands that they go in and the background checks and whatever needs to happen to make sure that whoever's hands they're going into, it's not going to be someone who mentally would not be able to handle the magnitude and force of of such a item, you know. Mm I personally have been a target of racism and uh, I'm Jewish. And so uh, obviously when you look at a Jewish person, they look white, you know, Mm -hmm. so no one ever thinks that way, you know, at least in the South, it's like, oh, well, but you're white, you know, but no, I've, I've lived in areas, I've lived in France where um, during the nineties, during the Gulf War, uh, where I could not wear my uh, Jewish star out that I would, I would be very, um, I had to be very careful. There was a bomb threat at our school in the synagogue, which was right next to the school. I've been followed before and stalked at one point in my early teens by uh, skinheads. Um, and again, <laughs> you wouldn't think it looking at me, <laughs> right? So who am I to say any of that? Because I am not experiencing it to the degree by any means. I don't have to be worried at a traffic stop from a police officer. I don't yeah. have to be worried about that. But it's sad that just the whole reason why we're put here on earth is to share our love and experience with others and just try to make the world a better place. And unfortunately, any one group of people that thinks that they are right because of their religion or they're based on their skin color or whatever it is, makes them to be a better person in their minds is absolutely asinine to me because in the one blip of time that we're here on this earth, in the small blip of time of what has been the whole cosmos getting to this point of where we are right here on earth, is such we're so finite we're so minute in all the grand scheme of whatever all of this is Mm -hmm. that we're just we're really nothing right such a small blip of time yeah what are we gonna do with that time right right what do you do with that time that you're given this like itty bitty like snap and it's gone Mm. yes I think about this as an artist and as a creative as well, you know, always considering how do we create more peace and more inclusivity and how do we create bliss on earth in whatever industry we're in, even beyond the creative industries. And I'm curious if you've seen any shifts around awareness um, in your work, you know, as an actor, as a writer. I know you also do energy work and you do qigong and massage therapy, but I'm seeing an increase in accountability in every sector. But as a creative, I'm curious if you have seen more inclusivity, more accountability, more um, diverse panels. Yeah, I'm 
Obviously, there needs to be more. We're just scratching the surface. I think that in 2020, when a lot of all of this happened, we did see a huge shift in storytelling in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it still needs to shift. It needs to shift more. There needs to be absolutely more Latinx men that are depicted as a good people and not just, you know, in Narcos and Ozark right. and, you know, all these shows where they're uh, in a negative light. I actually wrote a film that, that had a, a positive light and it had a whole, it was a Latinx-based story. There is such a huge need for more indigenous people to have lead roles. There's mm-hmm. absolutely such a, a huge need for all of the inclusivity to take more of a, a forefront. But I do know that there has been some work in that area. We mm-hmm. see it. We see it with casting. We see it on our shows. We're seeing mm-hmm. a lot more diversity on shows. And we're seeing it even in the recommendations for the Academy Award movies in 2023. Mm-hmm. I believe it will start where there has to be criteria that would include a lot more inclusivity. Um, we're also seeing a lot more women getting the chance to do more directing, you know, and more storytelling from their points of views, which mm-hmm. has been a wonderful thing. It should obviously be more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's slow going. It's coming along, though. I know one of the big, as far as the voiceover community, one of the big things is that uh, the training and the amount of scholarships going out there um, for inclusivity to make sure that the people that they're casting in the roles of these voiceover um, roles, even for animation and video games, are definitely the people of uh, those backgrounds. Right. So if you see a bio than- character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in the past, I think that they just had a smaller pool to draw from. Like, it seems to be like that a lot of the same voiceover actors would be do- working on a lot of the different things, you know, and mm-hmm. the studios only knew those people. And now they're really making amends and really trying to get out and make sure that they are not only supporting roles uh, for the BIPOC community, but also for the LGBTQA plus community, mm-hmm. which is really important. Uh, one person that really helps out with that a lot for that community is J.P. Karliak. He's the voice of Boss Baby on the TV show. I just interviewed him for my podcast, and he has been amazing about creating mentorship for the LGBTQA plus community, which is really important because a lot of those people weren't represented in um, animation and video Mm -hmm. games and Mm -hmm. so that was a push in the right direction theater uh, unfortunately because I'm in the south um, there there is some theater there's more TV and film in Atlanta to be honest than there is theater And there was a huge racial reckoning actually in 2020 where we we, we had a town hall, so to speak, with 400 people zoomed in mm-hmm. online listening and people mm-hmm. from all different creators of theater and then allies like um, my husband and I joined as allies. And, and one of the things that we heard over and over again was that there just wasn't enough content that supported the BIPOC community. And then unfortunately, I don't know that that has changed so much, but Mm -hmm. I believe that there are smaller theaters that are trying to make a change. But unfortunately, the bigger theaters are still doing musicals and and sometimes sometimes that will account for it. But there was a lot of micro and macro aggressions that were happening within the theater community Mm -hmm. here that weren't voiced before. And so they uh, were able to finally have a voice and let them know. Like, for example, because I don't do theater 
I wasn't aware that when someone came in to even do um, makeup and hair and costuming that they were not accounting for the right color hose to go on the BIPOC community or wow. like the right color stockings. And, and I thought, oh my God, why wouldn't you do that? You know, why wow. wouldn't you think that way? Uh, you know, that that wasn't accounted for at some theaters. I'm not going to name theaters that yeah. had these micro and macroaggressions, but there were quite a few theaters that really were called out. And I was so happy to hear that, that, that the Latin Latinx in the BIPOC community were able to call out these actions because mm -hmm. um, they didn't have a voice for so long and that, mm -hmm. that absolutely they should have had someone that could work on their hair, you know, right. properly, that were able to create hairstyles that were authentic for whatever they were doing and not, um, yeah, so that is coming along. However, there still could be advances in that area, um, mm -hmm. in all areas, obviously, but I think that there is definitely now more of a push in that direction than there ever was before yeah. 2020. And I think that, you know, storytelling always reflects what's going on in society. If it's good storytelling, it should mm -hmm. always reflect what the trends are and what is going on in society. And I think that we are seeing a difference in those offerings, mm -hmm. you know, that there will be more, obviously. Um, I still see a lot of shows where there's a lot of white people <laughs> that are the main cast and they don't have to be, you know, mm -hmm. for the storytelling to work. Unfortunately, this is the one thing that is unfortunate and where big Hollywood could really help us mm -hmm. is that unfortunately, and I've known this and I've noticed this even as a producer myself trying to get people attached to a script. Obviously, you know, you know, when you get a script and you need to get the funding for the script, the people who bring the most money are your A-listers. And uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately, still in Hollywood, uh, male A-listers are going to bring more money than female A-listers. And male white A-listers, sadly, will bring more money than male Hispanic, Latinx, BIPOC A-listers in some ways. I don't know why that is. But that's what funds a movie. And unfortunately, you can't get a movie made unless you have certain A-listers attached. And that's an unfortunate thing because a lot of things are not getting made because they're like saying, oh, well, we need to change the script and, um, you know, we need to be open to making it a male that's white, you know, instead mm -hmm. of Latinx. And I'm like, no, that's not but that's not the story. <laughs> like that's right. So unfortunately, that's just Hollywood really, really needs to change in that aspect mm -hmm. that that the amount of money that someone brings for their face should be based on their talent, mm -hmm. not on the color of their skin, not on old ide ideology or old, you know, ways of doing things in Hollywood, that it should be, um, there, there should definitely be a change there, a huge change. And there should be more stories of women, <laughs> honestly, in general, uh, of any color that are over 40 and don't necessarily have to involve kids because it seems like after 40, that's like all we're good for. <laughs> and like, there's no roles for people who are in their um, leadership or 40s going into 50s that don't involve them being a mother of some sort or something like that or you yeah. know it's just or it's either that or they're a judge like they're it's like the far extreme like either they're judging like they are a mother because that's like the evolution of it or you know um that's just my own opinion though there's yeah yeah i'm 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 smiling but it's kind of gallows humor in a way right 
Um, there were a couple of thoughts I had when you were talking about, you know, the A-listers, you know, how the white male A-listers uh, will bring in more money. And what I always think of in the back of my mind is, oh, well, that's Hollywood fawning to a white audience because they're trying to get white dollars to come in, you know, and it's like, if you have an incredible movie, like, look at Black Panther. Hello, you know? Yeah, Black Panther, um, not only was it an incredible story, incredible storytelling, incredibly cast piece, but it did a lot for the Atlanta community. It was filmed here. And subsequently, Black Panther 2 was also filmed here, which will be out hopefully next year, um, uh, if not sooner. But Marvel doing that, when Marvel did that, they definitely, definitely set a precedent that a lot more storytelling could go that realm and so you did see a lot more like they're doing a spinoff now on Hawkeye where it's Echo's storyline and Echo is the Latinx lady who in Hawkeye is she's deaf Mm -hmm. so it ticks three boxes there it's a woman she's deaf and she's Latinx so it's like oh finally thank god you know something that's different in a Marvel story right um Mm -hmm. but so they they are making they are making more I guess better choices yeah they're making better choices that way for sure I would say that Marvel versus DC whether like you know which one is making better choices you know it's it's still you know, it's still the same people that are in all the movies, you know. But I think Marvel is taking more of a chance to get out there. And with their offerings of these uh, pieces on Disney+, Plus, they're, they're definitely taking more risks than DC is in that aspect. And, and it might be because they've got Disney behind them now. Um, so that might mm. be the, the reason, too. But financial I mean, backing. even, yeah. Mm-hmm. But even in Doctor Strange just recently... I mean, it was a pretty white cast. I mean, it was just a pretty, I mean, there was, yeah, well, there was a few, a few people that were, they were inclusive a little bit, but there were characters that, you know, obviously had joined in that story before, but yeah, it's, it could have been more for sure. Well, that brings me to another question I had, which is, do you have a sense of some of the shows and directors and, you know, houses that are pushing the needle forward in terms of more diversity and telling stories that are more inclusive? I think probably one of the most prolific storytellers of our time, and he will hopefully go down (laughs) in time as one of the geniuses. Well, he is a genius is Donald Glover. Donald Glover is absolutely fantastic. If you've ever seen the show Atlanta, um, it is especially this season has totally pushed the envelope on the way society is and it turned it on its ear mm. and it's dark and it's funny and it's mm. god awful like you feel icky after watching it sometimes and it's truthful and it, everyone should watch atlanta now mm. this season was more set up like an anthology and a lot of it takes place in europe which again there's there's this racism everywhere obviously like yeah. it's all over the globe and even really wonderful to see what it's like in Europe versus here and how they deal with it because with it being racist uh, well well yeah yeah and and just mm-hmm. yeah race in general and just race relations in general for example i don't know if you've ever seen the show Atlanta but Donald Glover's character it's on my list. 
Yeah, he's fantastic. Earn. He is the manager of Paperboy, uh, and the first season obviously deals a lot with that relationship. And and but then this season is more of an anthology, and it's kind of like well, each one is kind of set on its own. And uh, man, it's. I don't want to give too much away. I don't want to spoil anything, but each one deals with some really, really, really tough subjects. Mm -hmm. Really tough subjects that we should be dealing with. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like even one, there's a whole one on reparations. And yeah, it's hilarious and eerie and just sometimes makes your skin crawl, but it's wonderful like in that way because it Mm -hmm. needs to, because we Mm -hmm. all need to. So I think if anyone is telling stories that's pushing the needle forward, it would be him. I mean, I absolutely love Jordan Peele as well. I feel like his horror films push the needle forward in so many different ways and allow us to look at society in definitely a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, If you've seen any of his films, you know, it's each one of them. I'm aware of them, yeah. uh, I'm not a big person but I love the um you know what I've seen so far you know I, I have an understanding of what he's put out there I'm just that's yeah, not and it's genre. more about relationships really yeah. like I mean it's about yeah. I mean his horror is more about the horror of society and what yes. we have done to each other than necessarily like uh, you know you'd think of something jumping out at you or anything like that mm-hmm. um and that those are the scariest things you know yeah. <laughs> like how we're treating each other it's how true. society is treating each other so yeah huge Jordan Peele fan I would love to work on anything Donald Glover or Jordan Peele do but because you know they just are t- telling fantastic stories they're just they've got it right they've got it right for sure there's another one I really enjoyed which is Hintified you know there's definitely some elements to it that are a bit stereotyping still um, but there are enough conversations that they're having that are interesting and I growing up speaking Spanish I really am tend to be drawn to storytelling uh, by the Latinx community. And I just really appreciated that it was entirely Latinx cast and, um, you know, that they were addressing gentrification and, you know, the artistic community and food and border relations. And a lot of really good things came up in that um, show as well. I pretty much binge watched that one. (laughs) What's it called? I don't don't think I caught it. Hintified. Okay, and where like, is it at? It's on Netflix, actually. Okay, I'll yeah. definitely check that out. I haven't, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, um, neighbor's dog. <laughs> She's a good dog. She's a good watchdog. So I know there are a lot more shows that you and I can come up with. Um, I kind of put you on the spot there, but maybe we'll definitely put some more in the show notes because I have a lot of favorites as well. How about directors? Any directors that are standing out? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely love Alfonso Cuaron. You know, he's fantastic. Loved Roma. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, really just beautiful storyteller that takes his time with telling the most intricate of life scenarios, you know, and just allows life to breathe and live. Absolutely am in awe of anything he does. Mm. <laughs> anything he does, I would, I would, uh, I would die to work with it. Yeah, I love. Um, you know, interestingly enough, there's so many that I watch that are. Um, I watch a lot of different things, like all over the board. Like with my art, I, I really mm-hmm. love watching a lot of different 
all kinds of genres. Um, my favorite genre is horror. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's another thing you would never imagine looking at me. It's so um, interesting. Yeah. I, I Actually, the first movie I ever worked on was a horror film uh, as an actor in, uh, and that was a, a blast in it. Um, but even as a little kid, I absolutely, like my favorite, like I just turned it on one day and there was a shining on TV and it just caught my eye and I was like, oh, wow, this is my favorite film of all time. The Shining is a classic. Yeah, it's 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 really good. I actually just saw Doctor Sleep, which was a prequel to it recently, and a very interesting prequel. But I would say I really love Guillermo del Toro. I love his work. I love his take on monsters, you know, and what is a monster. Uh, I just love um, God. There's so many directors that I really love. That I it's. Uh, um, I really love the lady who did Nomadland, um, Nomadland. And, I, and her name is escaping me now. I'll look her up real quick. Yeah, she's fantastic because she was a really, really wonderful, again, with storytelling and how it was able to just like have this slow burn of what life is, you know, out mm. there on the land. I loved, I loved, um, I loved her, her work. Um, Chloe. I really, Chloe yeah. Zhao. Chloe oh Zhao. yeah, Chloe Zhao. Yeah, Chloe Zhao. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love. Believe it or not, I'm really into like a lot of Korean zombie movies. <laughs> so I love the Korean community. Yeah, like oh my gosh, one of the favorite things that I saw recently was Train to Busan. And I know it's an older film, but as far as a zombie movie goes, I mean, I cried like three times in this movie because it was mostly about relationship, mm-hmm. and it was all about like the storytelling of relationship, and that's what. That's what we need to feel as mm-hmm. as humans looking at a screen is that we're not alone in this world. And I think that artists do that. We're like one of these noble, I, I don't know if it's noble profession. I always say it's noble because we let people not feel alone in this world. Like you can look at a screen and we do things that doctors can't do or what doctors can do. You know, uh, we're making people laugh and we're making people just not feel so alone and they can see themselves on the screen. And I, I really love... Um, Train to Busan. It was a fantastic film, a uh, fantastic zombie flick that you would never think has like this much heart in it, but it mm, does. That's cool. You know, um, another film that I absolutely love, which is a documentary, and that is 13th. That's available on Netflix as well. It was put out in 2016, and the director is, or the filmmaker is Ava DuVernay. Oh, yes. And she works film. here. Um, Pardon? Yeah, she's worked here in Atlanta some on some stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. At DMZ. Um, yeah, so for listeners, she explores the history of racial inequality in the United States, and she's focusing on the fact that the nation's prisons are disproportionately filled with African Americans. And one of the things that really, really brings you to your knees is the between each chapter of the film they show a graph of the number of people that are incarcerated and the breakdown of the people that are that are incarcerated that are communities of color and it's shocking that in our lifetime it's gone up astronomically 